Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is producer Mason. And also with us is, as usual, Sean Campbell from St. Louis County. How are you boys doing today? Uh, a little chilly, but otherwise quite well. And I'm still riding the excitement of the wonderfulness that is the MLS playoffs. Wonderfulness. Except maybe the first 60 minutes of that Union Red Bull game, but uh, gave us some excitement at the at the very end. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Kind of like watching a car crash. That uh, There's a lot of pundits that actually used that description. Got a big show for you today, but uh, before we start, want to remind you, if you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and take a moment to subscribe. And if you wish, please rate and review the show. It really does help us out. We do have a special guest today. We got an old friend and Larry Henry Jr., the managing editor at SBI Soccer. And uh, he'll be here to t- go over what he thought and saw from the uh, U.S. men's national team last qualifying window and going forward from here. And also a little talk about uh, the MLS playoffs as well. Three-time returning champion. That's right. But first, we want to start you off, as usual, with a little news about St. Louis City. Well, for the uh, first team, there's been little, if no, news. We got a little bit on the academy right now. Uh, U-17s played uh, Minnesota United U-17s at uh, Creekcore Park. It was a tight game for about two minutes. Nathan Ferguson hit a free kick, got uh, the City Boys off to a big one nothing lead right at the start, and they never slowed down. 8-0 thrashing in this one. Nathan Ferguson got a hat trick for the second game in a row, named to watch. And uh, the press was a big deal in this one. The press and intensity, uh, the style of play that Lutz wants to do, uh, really was a problem for Minnesota United. Also understand that this was the first time that uh, Academy head coach Andreas Schumacher was able, because of COVID restrictions, to join the team and was there. So it was kind of a big deal in actually the last home game of this year. Uh, all the way up, uh, the U-17s won't play again in regular MLS Next play until they have a home game on March 12th. And they'll be hosting a famed academy from Chicago, Soccer FC, in that one. In the meantime, we thought there was going to be a long winter break, but no. The uh, St. Louis City U-17s will be traveling out to Los Angeles uh, for the MLS Next Fest Showcase. They're in a grouping with all of the MLS academies, and that will happen Uh, Coming up in the next couple of weeks, on December 3rd, they'll have a game against the vaunted uh, Red Bull New York Academy. Then on the 4th, they'll play against the Portland Timbers Academy, and on the 6th against the Chicago Fire Academy. It'll be interesting to see how they do traveling across country, having a little uh, vacation, a little R&R, and uh, man, 3rd, the 4th, and the 6th, going to test their uh, depth on that squad as well. And uh, we'll see. We don't know yet if there's going to be any way to watch or follow along with those games. But we're going to be keeping an eye on it for you and give you a follow-up from whatever we can find out on this one. Yeah, details are in flux about that, even up till time of recording. A little difficult to find out details, but we'll keep you posted if we can. And uh, the big deal about this is coming in March, they start up at MLS Play MLS Next play for the Academy starting in March, but that's also the time that the uh, MLS, you know, what is it, third division, the lower division league will start up. Still haven't got an official name for that. Perhaps they should have a meeting or something. Uh, Preliminary, people are saying they're referring to it as MLS LDL, which, yeah. Also, it's catchy, isn't it? Rolls off the tongue. But uh, big deal about the Academy is uh, uh, we're imagining that uh, quite a few, especially the U-17s, perhaps even in some 16s, might be on that team. Uh, might be some new names for you that get brought into that team as well when they start a play, and that'll happen in March of 2022. Uh, Nathan Ferguson's really making a play for that. Uh, Aaron Hurd scored again this week. Uh, 
He's been their star recruit in the academy, so we expect him to be there. He's, of course, now a youth national team member. And uh, see who else shows up uh, on that when it gets announced, but that won't be coming for a few months. If I was going to propose a name for the uh, the LDL, I might consider calling it the MLS Lidley, because the letters are already there. Lidley? Little Lidley. Because that's even more catchy, right? We can edit that in post, right, Mason? <laughs> you can't see it, but I am face palming right now. <laughs> yes, I can see it, and he absolutely is. Oh, such jocularity. Actually, on a little more serious, but actually a fun note, we are graced today with a special guest. We've got Larry Henry Jr. coming back to talk to us, and uh, we'll go ahead and get to that right now. We're very pleased to have an old friend back on the podcast. Larry Henry Jr. rejoins us. If you don't know, he's managing editor at SBI Soccer. Also, you can find him all the time on Twitter, following up with all the uh, events in the soccer world. And... uh He's back for his third time with us. How are you doing today, Larry? Good. Uh, thanks so much for having me again. Always enjoy jumping on with you guys. And um, yeah, everything's going pretty well uh, on my end. Obviously, uh, a lot going on in the soccer world now, back in um, European club leagues and MLS playoffs. Uh, U.S. window is now behind us for the national team, but uh, that friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina is coming right around the corner. So, uh, but, but glad to be back with you as always. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with that uh, friendly against Bosnia Herzegovina. As uh, in the St. Louis area, there's a large Bosnian population. So there's going to be a lot of interest in that area for that. We wanted to bring Larry on today to just kind of follow up and give a thought about the state of the U.S. men's national team. And uh, recap some of the things that perhaps he saw uh, during the last window where the U.S. beat Mexico 2-0, dos cero, and uh, then played to a limp 1-1 draw in Jamaica at the office. Uh, how comfortable are you feeling right now about the national team's uh, chances of actually qualifying in the top three spots in this uh, CONCACAF qualifier? Well, I mean, uh, still pretty confident in this group. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, the win over Mexico was the headlining result uh, of the November window, uh, the dose of zero um, in Cincinnati. And uh, I just think, you know, getting four points out of that window again, Greg Berhalter is kind of, um, you know, kind of reiterated over these windows that they try to look at it as maybe not the long term, you know, points, but they look at, you know, the plus and minuses per window. Um, so they get, they get four in this window, obviously some guys, um, you know, coming in some in, you know, some injuries, uh, injured players, not there. So Gio Dest, uh, Gio Reyna, uh, John Brooks, who uh, was not injured, but not brought in due to selection. Um, so there, you know, but it was good to see, um, you know, guys step up uh, in this window, Christian Pulisic, Coming back was huge. He gets the, the game winner against Mexico. Weston McKinney was also uh, excellent that night. And Tim Way, I thought, was um, had, had a great window as well with his two performances, the, um, you know, the assist against Mexico and then uh, the goal against Jamaica. So uh, still pretty confident in this, in this group right now to finish in the top three. Obviously, still six matches to go. Um, you have that big one against Canada, uh, kind of circled on the calendar, January 30th, um, Canada now top of the group. So, uh, it's not going to be easy. And then obviously they still have to go, uh, to Mexico in, in March, but, um, have to look at it one game at a time and, uh, overall still pretty pleased with, uh, where they're at. Cause they easily could have been, uh, maybe a few spots lower, if not for some of the results that they've picked up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I've, also think in this past window, we saw uh, both sides of the coin for them. Uh, they were just fantastic. You saw the talent against Mexico and the uh, potential this team has. And then going down to Jamaica, you kind of saw the youth there. Uh, started off great. And then what did you see after that uh, Michaela Antonio Thunderbomb world-class shot in that uh, Jamaica game? It seems like the team kind of didn't take that well no um you know there wasn't really much obviously uh you know that was in that game other than 
uh, Tim Weyer's nifty finish to, to get the scoring going. And then Mikel Antonio's uh, second goal now in qualifying with Jamaica. Um, you know, outside of that, the, the chances were kind of few and far between. Um, didn't really seem to have that spark uh, offensively um, in, in the group. But uh, I think, too, when you're missing, again, you're missing some guys. I know, you know, Christian Pulisic came off the bench and Weston McKinney was out. Uh, Miles Robinson was out as well. So, um, so some things obviously changed uh, in the roster. Uh, it was good to see some other guys get a chance. Uh, Gianluca Buzio, excuse me, uh, coming in and Chris Richards uh, also uh, coming in in that game. So uh, again, they're going to need everybody for the, the next six matches, um, you know, whether it's injury free and uh, fitness and, um, but yeah, it was, it was a little disappointing to say the least that they only come out with, uh, the one point in Jamaica, especially with how much Jamaica had kind of struggled through qualifying before, um, you know, before the, the end of the October window and then the November window. So, um, still some positives to take obviously, but, um, maybe a little disappointed with the, with the two points dropped on the road, even though, uh, you know, a lot of people will say that a point on the road is great and it is, but, this is a team that should be should be winning that game. Yeah, I just think uh, it, they kind of their youth showed there. They didn't have the resilience the, after Antonio scored that Jamaica got their got a second wind and uh, plus they had a lot more talent on Jamaica in that uh, in that game than they had in the first one with Antonio, who was a difference maker, and Leon Bailey, but uh, they survived the road trip pretty good window showed what they can do against Mexico and that they should learn from all of this. Uh, you know, we do have two months until the next, uh, qualifying set of matches in the window got two at home. And then the road game at Canada in this one. And we think, or we hope Gio Reyna should be healthy in, uh, at least playing some by then. Uh, how do you think, uh, he's going to fit into this squad? There's been a lot of people step up, like Aronson away on the wings, and the McKinney-Musa-Adams midfield has been the rock so far. Uh, you think that he's going to slot in as a starter, or Berhalter uh, easing back into this rotation? I think, obviously, with the amount of time that he's been out now, uh, I think easing him in might be the best thing, just because um, you know you don't want to see the guy uh, suffer another injury. Um, we've seen this kind of with Christian Pulisic now that he's come back and, um, you know, ha didn't start both the games in this window, um, kind of has since done well uh, for Chelsea scoring over the weekend. But, um, yeah, I think Gio Reyna obviously is a great talent and another young player in this pool. Um, but right now I think when you look at the amount of talent they have, um, you know, on the wings, whether it's Aronson or Weya, or you, if you put Pulisic on the wing, um, I think Reina is going to have to be kind of a bench option for right now. Um, now, granted, they do have three games in that window, so mm -hmm. rotation is going to be key. So he might uh, get a start uh, in that window, but hopefully he is back because obviously there's all these reports out there about when he's going to be back. It sounds obviously like. Um, you know, he's not going to make it back for Dortmund before, you know, before the winter break uh, at the end of this calendar year. So um, hopefully he can get back soon because the U.S. Would, would love to have him. And I know Dortmund would, too. But um, but I think for right now, when he does come back, it'll be about easing him back in. Let's not rush it because they do have the talent there on the wings. And Tim Weah obviously took took advantage of this last window uh, with his performances. So. Um, Rain is a great option to have, but I think, again, you're going to have to kind of ease him into it. And, and, and again, just like Polisic was, uh, it's a great option to have, you know, off the bench. Yeah. And with the uh, two home games and one road game in this window and the road game being a Canada, it's going to be interesting how Burhalter will uh, set up his teams. Uh, you know, Reyna perhaps working his way in. If he does go with an A-list and a B-list, maybe Reyna sits to the uh, B-list team and try him out midfield, which has been a problem when they've uh, gone away from their A-listers. Uh, what do you think? Uh, should Berhalter split up his best team to try to play in these three-game windows? Or should he just stick with the best team at home and try to get all three points uh, from each game at home? Um, yeah, it's going to be 
tough to see, you know, interesting, interesting to see how he kind of balances it. I think obviously the home games are huge. Uh, they're winnable games. El Salvador and Honduras haven't really um, done that well through qualifying uh, so far. Honduras has really struggled. Um, seems like anytime I put them on and if they are winning or they do have a chance to win, they either blow a lead or, um, you know, or, or don't take their opportunities. So, so those games will be huge. They, they're, they're must wins uh, at being at home, especially after, you know, the, the draw against Canada earlier in qualifying at home. Um, the road game at Canada is going to be huge because again, the, the, probably the weather conditions and uh, you know, where they play, play it and everything. We saw how much kind of Mexico struggled in that. Um so I do think uh, you do stick with the with the best team and the best players, obviously there. But uh, again, there's a little more emphasis on those home games, knowing that you know it's only six qualifiers left now that we've we've uh, you know we're already past the midway point. So, uh, but I do think that he will stick with kind of the be- the better team and the best players and uh, his A group to try to get these results and really pad their their chances of qualifying before any scares kind of in the March uh, window. I tend to agree with you. Uh, the nine points from the home games, if they can get all three of those, really put them in a solid place. And especially if they can get that home, a home win against Panama, which is in the last window, uh, would be very important. And uh, Honduras, wow, the way they gave up that game to Panama was almost scandalous at the end of that game, some of the def- defending and uh, kept Panama right in this mix and makes it a little more, uh, you know, uh, tight for us uh, national team fans. Moving on, I got a couple of other things. Uh, before, and thank you for your time, Larry. We really appreciate it. Uh, I understand you did go to the Philadelphia Union uh, New York Red Bulls uh, playoff game there in Chester, Pennsylvania, didn't you? Yeah, uh, it was good to be back. Um, I haven't been able to get to maybe as many union games as I have in, in previous years covering them. But um, it was good to be back, obviously good to see a win um, after last season where they went into the playoffs with a lot of expectations and a lot of um, confidence after winning the supporter shield and uh, immediately got bounced by the new England revolution who have since gone on to win the supporter shield this year, but um, good win for the union, obviously maybe a little frustrating you know, for Jim Curtin that they didn't get it done earlier than that point, but they avoided the penalty shootout, which, um, you know, can always be a little hectic there. And um, Jacob Glesnes continues to show his ability from long range now, five goals uh, for the team since his move from Norway. So uh, he plays the hero on the day and um, the Philadelphia Union now uh, will play obviously the, you know, the winner of Nashville and Orlando city, which is, uh, which is tonight. So, but they'll be back at home this coming weekend. I I'm hoping to be there again uh, next mm-hmm. Sunday uh, for that game. I'm, I'm hoping to be at least at one game every weekend uh, through, through the final, as long, as long as the final is not in out too far in Seattle. How was it in the stands for that game? It was probably far more exciting than, say, a neutral watching on TV, especially that first 60 minutes as the two teams just beat up on each other in the midfield and kind of became a scrum. I imagine the excitement level in the stadium was much higher than what we had at home. Oh, yeah. Um, and anytime you know, I've been able to cover games at Subaru Park, it's always been a lively atmosphere, and especially you add in the fact that it's playoff time and you're playing your biggest rival in the Red Bulls, um, that just kind of amps it up a little more. So um, great, great atmosphere, Sons of Ben and Keystone Ultras there, uh, the supporters groups. I mean, they were, they were, they were livid from the opening whistle. So it was uh, great to see. And obviously, um, you know, they were able to go home happy with the win. Obviously when that goal went in, uh, you know, kind of had to hold my laptop from falling off the, uh, the press <laughs> box there, but uh yeah, it was it was great to see a win, um, and now key for them to kind of keep this going here as the playoffs move forward. You think they have enough to get past uh, New England, uh, albeit if uh, New York City doesn't knock off New England before they get there? You think they got enough to uh, knock off uh, New England and get all the way to the uh, cup? it's tough. Um, if they were at home, I would say in that game, I would say absolutely. But, uh, the fact is they'll have to go on the road to Gillette stadium, that kind of environment at Subaru park, that's not in your favor at that point. So 
Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think New York City is going to actually give New England a, a pretty decent time because mm-hmm. the way they were able to take care of Atlanta United. But um, the Union have done well to get to this point. Uh, strong foundation in defense. Uh, Jack Elliott, Jacob Glesnes there. Uh, Kai Wagner, who's been a really underrated left back since he's made the move to the club. Andre Blake, let's not forget him, who mm-hmm. um, you know made some key saves against the U.S. and finished as the runner-up for goalkeeper of the year in MLS. So um, the, the big thing with them is can they – score but obviously can they score consistently because against that in that red bulls game they, they didn't really take make the most of those chances i know cashper shabilko missed the golden chance sergio santos had a great chance um some guys had some really open looks to really kind of end that game before it even got to extra time so um that that's huge because it's playoff time again so you don't want to um miss those chances and then say you do get knocked out then you're wondering what if but um but they hey they have a lot of energy in this group they have a really talented midfield uh really a lot of young kids we we've talked about before Paxton Aronson and Quinn Sullivan those young guys can can create a spark off the bench so um so they could go toe-to-toe at New England but I think being on the road is going to make it a little bit tougher for them yep and uh you know, to help with your scoring chances, you should just have Jacob Glesnes uh, unleash his thunder boot from the opening kick and try to see if he could score from the midfield stripe right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he, he, you know, um, the funny, that's that was the funny thing was when he shot that and everyone, you know, was going crazy. And it's kind of like he's just known for that at this point from the goal against LAFC and Atlanta United and um, so yeah, maybe Jim Curtin needs to maybe try him out at striker if Casper <laughs> Shabilko continues to go quiet in the final third. And uh, one last question for you here on MLS. Been a little turnover this past week. Bob Bradley is out, whether he was forced out or mutual agreement at LAFC. Uh, Toronto has split ways with uh, Ali Curtis as their GM. They already had a coaching uh, spot open. Uh, Word on the street is Bradley's going to go there and take over both roles in Toronto. You have any thoughts or any insight on that? Uh, yeah, I, I had seen that kind of making the rounds, um, you know, a few weeks ago. And um, as much as I think it'd be a interesting, you know, situation, he'd be back with, you know, with Michael and everything and be able to, you know, coach him. Um, I'm not sure if it's the, maybe the, the maybe the best fit for him only because I mean, Toronto had struggled obviously last season. I don't really see them being a, a much of a contender next season, unless there's a huge kind of roster rebuild uh, in the off season, which there could be. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, it's tough to really kind of pinpoint where he's going to end up um, right now, but uh, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe he does go and it works out, but I, I me personally, if I was Bob Bradley, I wouldn't really want to go to, Toronto and that's just because they've they're, they haven't been at that level like we saw them years ago you know winning MLS cups contending for MLS cups this past weekend they got knocked they they lost to CF Montreal in the Canadian championship so that kind of blew their chance at making the Champions League for next year so not a lot has gone Toronto FC's way and um, as much as great as Bob Bradley I think could maybe turn them around I don't know if maybe if that's the opportunity that he wants right now. So, but we'll see, there's still a lot, a lot could be done before the end of the calendar year. Yeah. I guess it would come down pretty much. Does he, after building a team, does he want to go off with the full rebuild of a team? Uh, time will say, I'm not going to talk for Bob Bradley. I don't think anyone possibly could. Uh, that's about all we have here. Uh, thanks for your time, Larry. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your uh, work? So um, you can find my work at SBI Soccer. Obviously, the the website has gone through some new kind of changes now, but um, you know, still having a lot of people uh, read our work, share our work. So we appreciate it. And uh, so SBI Soccer uh, is where you can find my work at there, and then also on Twitter at lhenry 19 If you ever want to any little tidbits on Americans abroad, MLS, or you want to start a conversation about uh, any professional sport, I'm always open for conversation. Yeah, and I highly recommend following uh, Larry on Twitter. He's got a lot of information to keep you up to to snuff on what's going on in the soccer world. 
I think that'll wrap up our time with uh, Larry Henry Jr. We thank him so much. And uh, thank you for your time, Larry. And uh, hey, have a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Take care. All right. That's Larry Henry Jr. Always good to hear from him. Good stuff. I think you all thought that. Uh, anything to follow up from what uh, Larry had to say to us? Uh, I mean, just really appreciate his time. Uh, third time joining us. He's always great to hear from, talk, uh, talk to and listen to him talk. He's very insightful. Um, one thing that was talked about was uh, players that had a good window. I wanted to mention Pepe. I think that Pepe played really well, even though he didn't make a huge impact on the score sheets. I think it was a very good window for him. He was impactful on a lot of plays that did end up on score sheets. Well said. And uh, we're going to move right along into the big thing of this week, play acting. Well, action of play, I should say. Uh, we've got the MLS playoffs. And we heard a little bit from Larry about how the Philadelphia Union uh, had that uh, shocking, striking uh, Jacob Glesness unleashing of his thunder boot at the death from way out to uh, score the big win just before penalty kicks uh, to lead the Union to another home game in the playoffs the next week. There was other games, a couple others that we follow up, and uh, one of the big ones this week in a surprising, a really eye-opening performance came from Sporting Kansas City against the Vancouver Whitecaps, and here to tell us all about it is Sean Campbell. Now, I'm not sure I'd call it surprising, considering Zeus has been known to do this time and time again. Um... But a big, big win in, in Kansas City for, for the boys in blue. And it was all spurred on by one comment, one offhand comment by Sartini that he made immediately after Vancouver made the playoffs. And you just know that Vermees at the last minute before, in the last training on Thursday, he put it on the board and he said, look what he said, guys. Remember this. And that fueled them. They came out. They came out hot and heavy, played more direct than they normally do. But that you can't you can't talk enough about that big game performance from Graham Zusi. Uh, if he if he didn't come out firing like he like he did, I don't, I'm not sure how this game would have ended up. But uh, big win. Looking forward to next week, and uh, well, really this weekend, we'll find out who we play um, when. Let's see tonight. Yeah, yeah, tonight we're we're waiting on the the winner of Sounders and RSL. Should be a fun one for sure. In case you uh, had missed it or are not familiar with the show, uh, lovely listeners, we do record this on Tuesday afternoon, and we got a couple of games tonight that we're going to watch but won't be able to cover during this show. Uh, one thing about Sporting Kansas City I say is surprising is the way that they played, especially in the attack. Vermees is known for playing, and as Matt Doyle on Extra Time Radio said, that uh, he's the one that brought uh, a pressing type defense to MLS, and they usually get it instead of going direct for the goal, they usually cycle it around and hold on to possession. Didn't do that in this game. No, they did Once not. Once they won the ball, they shoved it down Vancouver's throats. Yeah, Sartini oh, yeah. made that comment in a, a post game, and uh, yeah, Sporting took that very personally. Oh yeah, for those that didn't know, don't know what he said, Vancouver learned that they made the playoffs, and Sartini, the first thing he was asked was, how do you guys feel about your game against Kansas City coming up? He said, oh, we're going to beat Kansas City, and just walked off, and it's like, okay, good to know. But the Let's very, see how that holds up. <laughs> yeah, I, I immediately thought, ooh, that's going to light a fire. But uh, yeah, no, it's very interesting to see a very different style than the usual Vermees style of play. Um, the interesting statistic from this game was the spread of possession where Vancouver actually had 63% of the possession. Normally that number's flipped, and Sporting has the high possession, but for some reason it just worked. It really worked. Yeah, I was surprised to see Vermees, and a lot of pundits were surprised to see Vermees actually change up his system in this game, but it really exploited sort of the weakness of Vancouver uh, in attacking their defense. And Zussi... He was so huge. Uh, a lot of what he did was he got the ball there on the left and would hit those long diagonal passes shallow uh, to change the uh, 
the side of the play on the field, it really was divisive. Pulled Vancouver apart. And it's a wonder you guys didn't win by even more, given all that happened. And then the old guy had the uh, the thunder strike from outside. It was good to see. Good to see from Graham Zussi. He's been a uh, great player for Kansas City for so many years. Absolute legend. Another thing that really worked out well for these for in these playoffs was uh, NYCFC continuing to be NYCFC at Yankee Stadium. And I cannot tell you the last time I saw a field that looked so small, but ended up being so effective. And it kept Atlanta's midfield out of the game almost exclusively. It, it And their defense also looked to have uh, not shown up for that game. Uh, but needless to say, City's moving on and... It was a fun game to watch for me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, that one was pretty good. Um, uh, I was right to not go with my gut on predictions last week for this one. Um, but am I remembering correctly that NYCFC had a bunch of stadium trouble and was bunch like bouncing around all over the place before they finally had to like limp back home to Yankee? Yeah, they've they've been looking for their own stadium for a couple of years now, at least. But uh, I think they spent the first half of the season playing at Red Bull Arena. And I'm sorry if you're any other New York team and you're playing in, at Red Bull Arena. If you're not Red Bulls, it's not a home game. No matter how many times they tell you it is, it's not a home game. No, I absolutely agree. But like, I mean, like <laughs> no one really wants to see, you know, MLS soccer played in a baseball stadium anymore. But uh, they seem to be very good playing at Yankee. <laughs> And, and I think a big part of that is the fact that that pitch is just so narrow. They made it as yeah. narrow as possible so that they don't have to cover up the infield dirt. And it really impacts the game heavily. But uh, I can't wait for them to get their own field. Yeah, but yeah, because Yankee Stadium is not a multi-purpose. There aren't any multi-purpose baseball stadiums anymore. They don't build them anymore. And neither old Yankee or the new one are were ever designed for that. So uh, on Twitter... Edwin Gamis, uh, at Edwin Gamis 4, did put out a post that, uh, with photographs, that, in his opinion, they can do something about widening that field a little. There's probably five yards that they can add to the pitch. Doesn't sound like much, but that would change the style of play a lot. Uh, but I guess they choose to keep it narrow because they have such technical quality on the team and it takes away from lesser technical quality and other attacking options for other team. Atlanta couldn't really unleash their players because they didn't have space to stretch and run. If we're playing in a baseball stadium, why not have a short porch? And the big question is, how is City going to get another stadium? They seem hell-bent on making sure that it's in Brooklyn or Manhattan. My goodness. That'll cost billions of dollars just to acquire the land alone, much less to build the stadium and infrastructure around. There's a lot of people doesn't say it's happening. They don't want to go to Long Island. They don't want to go upper, you know, outside the city to the north. You already got Red Bulls down in Jersey, so that's not really an option unless you multi-use the stadium like the Giants and Jets did. Uh, I just don't know how they're going, what they're going to do except keep playing in Yankee Stadium. It's really a bad look for what should be one of the very flagship pro, uh, teams, franchises in MLS. Don't know what they're going to do, and uh, solutions are years away, perhaps decades away in this one. Yeah, I mean, like, just the real estate situation in New York makes a stadium in Manhattan or Brooklyn kind of untenable. Um, maybe they could go to Queens or the Bronx? But there's a finding land there either. Yeah, there's a reason why most of those big stadiums are in Jersey. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, City Football Group has all the monies, but apparently not enough monies to buy the land to force something in because they're going to have to displace somebody that does not want to leave their spot where they want to build. Well, is, is City Saudi money or is it Emirates money? I don't remember. Uh, Emirates or Abu Dhabi, it, it's oil money, funding that. But enough talk about New York City FC. Maybe a little talk about Atlanta United FC. 
because they weren't very good, especially in the second half. A couple of the defensive plays for the two goals by which were quite fluky by City uh, was kind of embarrassing. And then after that, Atlanta just looked like they didn't want to play anymore. They just weren't very good. Uh, Gonzalo Pena has a a job to do there with some of the talent that doesn't really seem to fit together too well. Um, they've got to look at some things in Atlanta. They should be better than they are. Hey, but they did re-sign Carlos Bocanegra uh, as sporting director so they can keep going on the same path because it's working so well for them. They've, they've got some work to do. They've got some looking forward to do. And you could tell at the end of the game, they were definitely ready for next season to just get started already. They, they need the offseason to, to rework some stuff. Tell you who has things working, or at least they did uh, over the weekend, is the Portland Timbers. Uh, they got late in the season after injury, they got Sebastian Blanco back. And uh, he was a difference maker in this game. He just was the best player on the pitch. And could be a very big difference in the upcoming MLS playoffs. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Minnesota United got an early goal, a nice, well-played team goal. Uh, Fragapane got the uh, goal on that one. And they just seemed to think that was enough and didn't play out the rest of the game uh, out. And uh, just didn't look very, very involved in the game either. Yeah, these these two teams, their performances could be summed up in in one player for each team, and as it usually is for these guys, uh, it was all Blanco and Reynoso. I I don't think I even heard his name mentioned once in the run of play. I I don't Reynoso? remember him being yeah. involved at all. And when Reynoso's not involved, Minnesota is almost it's pitiful to watch. Really, it really is. But it was it was all Blanco. Yeah, it might have been one of Blanco uh, uh, Reynoso's uh, worst games of the year, and came at a terrible time. But along with uh, the Union's uh, extra time win against uh, Red Bulls, all the home teams have won so far in the MLS playoffs. Uh, MLS is such a local based uh, sort of sport in the U.S that uh, when it comes down to playoff time, the home crowd comes out and there's a fever pitch, and it does add to the team. Every, you know, ever since they allowed stands in for professional sports, fans in the stands have made a difference, and they really seem to do that in MLS. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When the fans show up, they they understand the assignment. It is playoff time. It's It's time to show up and get loud, and that's exactly what Portland did. What do we keep saying? Show up, get loud. Get it's, loud. It's what you got to do. Show up, make some noise. Yeah, there, there's a reason why there's a whole a whole other podcast named that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There is one more thing that needs to be mentioned about specifically Portland. And it was uh, Gio's, op- you know, his choice to sit Valeri, argue, which most people would consider to be their best player, but. I don't think this is Valeri's Timbers anymore. I think it's firmly cemented that this is now Blanco's team. Valeri's just playing on it. Yeah, Valeri is got to be looking very hard at the end of his career. He hasn't played that much for Portland, hasn't been that effective. He's been fantastic for the city of Portland, both on the field and off the pitch as well. And I have incredible respect for him, but I believe that his best days are behind him. And it's kind of sad, but it happens, you know, time waits for no one. And boy, don't I myself know that. <laughs> I can't really speak to uh, to MLS specifically because this is the first season I've really followed it closely. But just in other sports, there's a certain kind of dignity in passing on your veteran leadership when you know that you're like approaching the end of your career and not trying to hold on to it very like vindictively. Um, <coughs> yachty. That, yachty. That, <laughs> Sorry, I, I had a bird in my throat. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I can't say Valeri would do anything vindictive. Yeah, if he's going to stay, and they probably want him back, it's just because of his veteran presence and what such a good guy he is that he still have value. The same way the Quakes wanted Wondolowski back for those same reasons, and Wondolowski probably was more effective 
in a reserve role than uh, Valeri was this year. There's still a, a, a time for that, but uh, it, it's up to him. It's always up to the athlete. If he wants to play that role, the team, I'm sure, will find a spot on their roster for him. Yeah, but you can always tell like during like a transition period of like a core um, whether that passing of the torch is going cordially or not by the general cohesion of the team. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it really does make a difference on like performance on the field if that's going well or not. <laughs> Seems to be going well for Portland. So mm-hmm. now, as we mentioned earlier, we're recording this on Tuesday night uh, before the playoff games commence. Nashville is at home. Hosting Orlando, there's been three draws, which is not surprising, considering Nashville had 18 draws, 18 draws this season. Uh, won't be a draw tonight. Very quickly, guys, who are you picking? Nashville. I had originally picked Nashville, but if this thing goes to PKs, it's Orlando's game to lose at that point. I I agree with that, I think. But at the same I think time, Nashville will win. I think Nashville's got it. Is there's something about playing in Nashville that Nashville seems to do very well? They were the only team to go undefeated at home this year, so that that's got to stand for something. And of course, lovely listeners, you can uh, laugh at us when this drops because the games will already be played. And then in the West, we got Seattle against RSL. Seattle in the playoffs. Rui Diaz is back. Uh, Lodero might be on the bench. Morris is on the bench. I have to go with Seattle in this one. Yeah, I'm sticking with my first pick comes on this. I'm going Seattle. I'm picking Seattle, but I'm wanting Real Salt Lake. Why? Because I want revenge. I <laughs> want revenge. But uh, it's going to be Sounders. There's just not there's yep. there's very few teams that can go to Seattle and shut down Seattle in Seattle. Um, and RSL, depending on which team shows up, they might have it in the bag, but it's going to be a hard fought one. But I I just can't see them getting it this time and uh that's uh tonight's playoff games one game we want to mention upcoming this weekend because we don't don't really know what the matchups are going to be uh but thanksgiving day mls is going to have a game on fox at 4 30 i believe and uh it's colorado hosting portland in this one going up against the nfl on turkey day it's a big day big move for fox Big move for MLS. So we hope you all tune in. Help the domestic league on that. Yep. On Big Fox. Um, looks like pregame starts at 3.30, so I don't know exactly when kickoff is. but I believe it's at 4.30, so yeah. long lead-in game, I believe. But yeah. Uh, Check your local listing. Exactly. But yeah, that's prime time slot on a big sports day that's typically dominated by the NFL. Big get for MLS. And it's got two very exciting teams to watch with uh, the Rapids having an absolute turnaround season and Portland with their exciting show over the weekend. Um, who do you guys got in that matchup? Mm. That's a tough one. Yeah, I think I'm going to kind of hedge my bets like I did NYCFC versus Atlanta. My head says Colorado and my heart says Portland. I think uh, Colorado's defense is... Much better than Minnesota's is, and that Colorado is going to keep up the home team winning in the MLS playoffs, and they're going to win. I've got Colorado on upset alert. I've got them on upset alert. I want Portland to win because, uh, well, it's Stan Kroenke's team, and we all know how we feel about Stan Kroenke. Yeah. Some other MLS news came out. Uh, Charlotte FC... The new expansion team starting in 2022, uh, they did find out what their first uh, home game is going to be, and they're going to be hosting LAFC. They're hoping to sell that out, uh, which, because they play in an NFL stadium, would be the largest uh, crowd in MLS history. We'll see how that goes. Uh, The expansion draft will be on December 13th. Free agency starts on December 15th. And why that's a big deal is that uh, watching this process and how it unfolds and how it's handled is something that we, I'm going to keep my eye on to see how the process unfolds a year from now for St. Louis City. We're getting to the point to where it's time to really pay attention to the process so we can anticipate and perhaps be a little more knowledgeable 
as we head into it next year. I, I know we've been talking about it for 22 episodes now, but we're only a year away from the expansion draft for our very own club. Every time that something big like that comes or there's some milestone like that or something, it hits me all over again. Yeah, and we'll, we'll actually find out what the schedule is because I believe at this time next year, the World Cup will be going on. So we're going to be busy by this time next year, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Also wanted to follow up uh, with the NWSL. They just had their championship uh, this weekend. Quite an exciting game, and the Washington Spirit overcame everything they had this year and uh, won over the Chicago Red Stars in extra time. Big thing coming out of this game is there is a new women's star on the horizon, Trinity Rodman. That's right, Rodman. This is Rodman's daughter uh, from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, remember the name. She's exciting player, has a lot of skills and ability. She did provide the uh, cross that was knocked in by Kelly O'Hara for the winner in extra time. And uh, exciting moment played out on uh, CBS uh, over the weekend. Let's just hope she doesn't go as crazy as her father did. <laughs> Let's hope no one goes as crazy as their father did. Uh, no word if uh, she's been to South uh, to North Korea <laughs> to meet their leader like Rodman did. <laughs> but uh, time will tell, I guess. Unfortunately, that was a high. Rising young star. They had the championship game. But the troubles of the NWSL, they can't run away from. Uh, after the game, more scandal came out involving the Chicago Red Stars. Did you hear about this, Sean? I did not hear about this. Yeah, apparently after the game, at midnight, uh, the Red Stars put out a news release that uh, they and their head coach, Rod Dimes, Dames, I believe that's how it's pronounced, have parted ways. They did that because the next day, the Washington Post put out a story about uh, how the players had been kind of revolting against verbal and emotional abuse by their coach, Ron Dames, and apparently had been complaining to the league the whole season about this. And again, another black eye to the NWSL because of what's going on involving their coaches and their front offices, and they just try to sweep it under the rug and play the PR game and t- instead of taking care of business. And it's not just in the in NWSL. This is happening all over the world in women's leagues and national teams, academies, everywhere. And it really needs to stop. But there's a whole lot of people enabling these predators to enable to keep their jobs. They're allowing it. They're brushing it under. They're sweeping it all under the rug. And it just needs to stop. There's a real chance for a, you know, successful or at least a long-term women's league in the U.S. and around the world. But this... These scandals, they're just black eyes, and they need to take care of their business. There's only so much that can be said on this topic, aside from that it's just disgusting and it needs to stop. But the last time we talked about the scandals in the NWSL, I said that it's a systemic issue. It continues to be. It's simply just not being addressed. And this isn't just an issue in women's sports. This is an issue in men's sports like we've like we're seeing in the NHL, um, like we hear about in college football, college sports. It's it's simply just an abuse of power from these coaches and these these head office administrators and things that is a deep seated part of how they got into these positions in the first place. And that requires much more than some firing of people to address. And all this goes on, just like in this case, the owner's name of the Red Stars has not been on any of these press releases. Apologies. We're looking into it. The owners either are complicit or they just don't care. The league itself 
U.S. soccer has not been proactive. They've been involved for years while a lot of these things that are coming to light happen. And somebody needs to make some radical changes, but appears as if they just want to keep going the way it is. And the owners just are disappearing or trying to make a buck. I mean, how many bucks is there to do this? I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond the pale. Uh, the problem is that it's really not. It's very common. Um, these are the typical practices of an of an employer amongst an employee. I know that I, I get kind of sneered at and shrugged off when I talk about these pro athletes who make a lot of money about how they are labor. But this is what I'm talking about. This is exploitation of labor. It's very clear and very obvious here, but you can see it elsewhere, too. I'm not just saying that because I'm some kind of little freak trying to inject my politics into sports. It's a very real issue that affects people. And in this case, we've seen it over and over. And it really does seem to be a tight little club that has decided to latch on here and think that the, that they can have power and exploit that. And it seems to be a real problem. And we say there's something needs to be done, but... If it's systemic, it's going to take a long time to flush it out. It takes a lot of doing to but, solve an uh, issue this deep. Kudos to some of the great journalists out there that have been following this story and the athletes that have come out and were brave enough to bring this issue to light. Uh, like um, many germs out there, you get exposed to sunlight and they tend to uh, go away. Maybe that's what happens in this case. Yeah, that that is at the very least the first step that needs to be done. And on that, uh, you know, depressing note, I guess we're going to wrap up this week's show. We appreciate you listening and following us, and we want to wish you and all of your families and everyone you know a happy Thanksgiving. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean Gamble. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.